Hello and welcome to Season 5 of Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast for another season and a new year. Welcome to 2021. The purpose of this podcast is and always has been simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late-night meals. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Gold Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Croqueta Strength, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. Those that know me know that I use every single one of these products all the time, and there's no better ammonia in the game than Steve at Skull Smash and his new Formula 420. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull, you need that added grip, or you need that chalk on your back like me when you squat. Raw Grips Liquid Chalk and Bone Dust Chalk are the highest quality in the market right now. If you're looking for no BS training and a team that's going to stand by you through all the ups and downs, shoot a DM over to the the Croqueta Strength on Instagram for 10% off template programming just for your trouble for reaching out to them. Show them a screenshot that you subscribed uh, to the podcast on Spotify. We'll get you that discount. I'll swear by this. We are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who would do you ill is a vital part of mine and so many others training. You can head over to any of those pages to get some products. This evening, I have the honor of sitting down with one of the greats of powerlifting, Steve Machine Gun Goggins, first man ever to squat 1,100 pounds. Uh, He currently sits as the chair for the USPA in Georgia uh, and, of course, the head of Goggins Force, uh, his team. So excited for you guys to listen to this episode as we talk about his relationship with Ronnie Coleman and some things you may not have known about their time down in Metroflex to his first time jumping out of an airplane at jump school and even just reliving some of the famous moments from his powerlifting career. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Steve, what is going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it, Moses. So grateful to just get some time. And I know you're you're a busy man. You got a million things juggling. So I'm excited to revisit a little bit of the past, look a little bit at the future, and just, you know, chat about what's what's going on. So I know, you know, the people that know about Steve Machine Gun Goggins is they know that you have a long decorated history of competing. But before we get into any of that, my favorite moment is when you shot off that AK with the blanks before going up to deadlift. What in the world was going on in that competition? A lot of people like that. Uh, that was a John Enzer production, uh, Enzer Advances on. And uh, I used to be sponsored by Enzer. Enzer put on this, he wanted to have this deadlift competition. And his whole idea of this deadlift competition was, he didn't want it to be like a regular deadlift competition. He wanted it to be a show. You know, he wanted to be, you know, fireworks and everything. And it was. And so I was in the military at the time. So uh, he like, hey, you know, I, I had to come up with something I could do. Because I remember Gary Heisey, he was like a giant or something. It was, if you ever research that video and find the whole thing, you'll see it's, it's some characters in there. Um, Gus Rutheridge from The Running Man, he was at a part with a chainsaw. So my part was, uh, since I was military, I was going to be the you know, machine gun, because I'm Steve Machine Gun Goggins. And so uh, he gave me AK-47, some blank rounds. <laughs> and uh, we like did a, a take outside to where 
we he had like a it was a bridge like a like a one over to over top and i ran across it real fast and like firing it in for the commercial and stuff it was pretty cool and then at the meet i had to do this before i lifted and i, I can't it was pretty cool but i mean i was a little i was a little nervous so i was a little lame so i went boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I put it down. I got to get ready to deadlift, you know. So uh, I, I was young. So it, it was it was a pretty cool moment. It was cool. It was fun. You know, there's not many people who can say they shot off a gun at a powerlifting meet. <laughs> Everybody's ready to deadlift, right. Yeah, I, I think you're one of the few, especially to, to fire off a gun before opening at 800 pounds, no less. Right, exactly. you, know, yeah. the, you know, you might get some backyard SPF meet. You know, they're going to pull 300 right. pounds. They'll shoot off a gun, you know. But <laughs> that, that, that's quite a moment. And, and, and you know, I, I almost wish that there were more meets like that now. You know, I feel like that kind of stuff just doesn't happen anymore. And I, I feel oh. like you, you especially, you kind of heralded in this generation of powerlifting. I feel like you guys were this golden age. I wonder if you just share a couple of your favorite stories just from just even your time in competing and what you got to see. Oh man, I mean, it's hard to think about. I mean, I had so many, so many great moments. I mean, Hawaii, uh, going over there competing, uh, uh, WPO, uh, competing in the uh, IPF. Uh, probably my favorite moments would probably be Hawaii, Hawaii World Record Breakers. That was that was some good times. Good, you know, fly to Hawaii. Uh, you know, Gus put us up real nice. Uh, we got to lift, and it was it was just a great great time, great moments. Uh, there's probably a lot of moments that I can't even remember. I got more. <laughs> you know what I mean? The things that happened. But how going to Hawaii, competing over there, I thought was uh, some of my favorite moments. That was, and because I was reason being is because I was with. Uh, I was young and all the guys that were there competing in different weight classes to try to break records also were world-class lifters. And I, w I looked up to all these guys. So I was like, oh man, you know, Dave Patinella, Anthony Clark, uh, Osby Alexander, Gene Bell, uh, you know, all these, you know, Dan Austin. I mean, all these big time guys. I mean, they, they're like, they're already like, you know, at the top. Well, Anthony wasn't. Anthony was a little younger than me, but he was he was still coming on. But uh, and it was it was a, it was a, it was some you know good some good times. I've had some good times throughout powerlifting that I forgot so many of them. Well, so yeah. <laughs> well, when, when you're looking at that many years of, of competing, I mean, there's got to be more memories that you could hold on. You know, I almost wish. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper. That was like 15 years ago. He takes the pill and has 100% access to his mind. You know, I wish we could just like do that every once in a while. So we just, wow, you're remembering stuff from. I oh. need that. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. You know, I'm 23 and I'm, I'm saying I need it. You know, because I'm forgetting yeah. stuff. I'm not even getting started yeah, I'm, yet. I mean, that's some good stuff. I'm not competing against. I got to compete with APF seniors and had some battles there with some guys. I mean, any of the battles I got to compete against guys and. You know, you really can compete. Those were memorable moments, also. I mean, those those were cool. Uh, you know, competing against Willie Wessels, uh, other guys, Larry Mistrick, uh, just before I really, you know, when I was still just coming up, you know, getting in there, uh, just just having the battles, having that competitiveness with other guys. I mean, I craved that, so that was pretty cool.
man. There's a lot of history there. There's a lot of, and we're, we're going to get into it. So everybody that's listening, don't worry. We are going to get into it. But I wonder if we go all the way back. I know you, you were football, you were track and field. I mean, you did everything. And so I wonder if even just how did you get involved in powerlifting in the first place? Was it part of, of sports training or how did you even find the thing? Well, when I was in high school, I'm from a little small town uh, in Chatham, Virginia. And so when I was, born and raised and raised in the country and uh i just i, I seen uh lifting on powerlifting on like a wide world of sports abc wide world of sports dun, 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 dun. the agony of defeat and the thrill of victory and i would always come on on saturday morning i'd watch the sports and then they'd always have this guy on there eddie penley i think is his name he was a powerlifter and he would be squatting on there he looked all wild he had hair going everywhere I think he's maybe was overseas somewhere. Well, I think uh, England, I think. And uh, it, it was crazy to see see that. And I'm like, I mean, I want to do that. I want to do. I want. I want to lift weights. And I was probably you know about 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, or something like that. And so I begged my mom for a set of weights for Christmas. Got a set of weights. Started lifting. Started working out. Uh, just wanted to just wanted to get stronger for football. Then I wanted to get. I wanted to power lift at first. Then I wanted to play football, so then I wanted to do both. I wanted to do it all. So it was it was all a, a, a thing just to get better, you know. I wanted to be the strongest football player on my team. I wanted, you know what I'm saying? Just just all that stuff. Uh, Use it for track and field. Because now, because I was only 5'7", you know, 180-some pounds at that time in school. So I was just trying to, you know, be the best I could be. Yeah, so – what was the what was the first competition? Did you compete in high school? Is that when you would have first gotten on the platform? My first competition in high school was because we didn't have any kind of you know, powerlifting. Nobody in my school powerlifted. Right, <laughs> right. I had to like, like I said, make up my own stuff in my house, build a squat rack out of some wood wood things, and squat out of that uh, some some two by fours and make some you know things in there with a bar fit and did that. So my first meet was the YMCA local meet in uh, Virginia, a, a local YMCA. I looked and I seen something in the paper. They said they have a you know, YMCA power for me. I'm like, wow, I want to do that. You know? But this is you know years after I'd already, so I was what, like 15, 16. And, uh, and I thought, mom, I'm gonna do this. I want to try to hit this meet, you know, cause I'd been training all this time. Uh, I mean, I could squat like three something. I could, I could bench uh, about three hundred, and my deadlift was like four fifty or something. I'm like, I, I, I don't even think I could pull that much then. I don't think because I, I didn't have enough weight. I think I pulled like four hundred or something. Because I had like, uh, I don't even know what weights if I had enough weight. Because I would use uh, um, brake drums. I did wow. brake drums. Yeah, my dad like have some like some, some junk cars or something. And I would take the brake drums I did, and stuff off pieces off cars and, and the, off the axles and make what, you know, use them for weights. Because I only had like a 90 pound set. And so I was just use I just trained with what I had. Of course. You know what I'm saying? And I, so that was just, I made it work. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So my first meet, I went there and I uh, didn't really, had trained that way. And I squatted 350. I got benched 320. And I pulled 480. And I was like in the 10th, 11th grade, 10th or 11th grade. I think it may have been 11th. 
And uh, and I was just excited as could be, seeing other guys at the meet. You know, I never forget uh, William Link and uh, Ivan Mentor. Those are two guys I looked up to. The first two powerlifters I knew that I thought were badass <laughs> in my era. You know, in in my back in my you know, in my in, in Virginia, in a little small town. You know, to go and see them was like, wow, man, these guys are strong. And seeing those idols, yeah, hundred percent. Exactly, man. It was, it was, it was cool. So that was my first time, you know, doing a meeting, and they kind of helped me out a little bit. I think I may have went like five for nine or something. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just, you know, just making errors and because I didn't know what I was doing. You know? But that was my first meeting. Wow, I'm still reeling from you using brake drums. That's still like that's just so oh, crazy. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's awesome. You know, just the the innovation. You're like, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. Like I need the weight. I'm gonna right. do what I gotta do to make it happen. I would always do that. I always try to figure out, you know, what can I do? I'm like, you understand? We don't have the money for that, so I'm not gonna ask my mom. I'm just like, oh, we got this. That's the same size. Huh. It's kind of heavy. How much that weighs? About 16, 17. Uh, that's cool. That'll work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, that's so cool. Yeah. And it's really fun to add. You got to use what you have. Yeah. And I just, I would, I, man, I used to sing the way they were piled on the bar. Because I only had a 90 pound set. I had a 90 pound set with the, with the cement weights. With the, mm. you know what I'm saying? Plastic. That's what yep. I had. Yep, everybody's first weight set. Yep, exactly. With that bar uh, running across there, so you know, and it, it didn't even didn't even wasn't even like another bar. wasn't even nothing like a regular. <laughs> right. You know, I wouldn't know what to do with that. But uh, uh, that was that was fun. Yeah, and and I mean, I know I was reading a little bit, and of course, this is all you know before my time, but. You know, a lot of your initial training, I know, was kind of commercial gym, just kind of casual stuff. And right. so you're kind of used to this kind of like chill mentality. And then at some point, you made a switch over to training at Metroflex, you know, which now, obviously, everyone's going to look back and, oh, my God, Ronnie, Con Ronnie Coleman's gym, at Metroflex, right. whatever. What in the world was it like training at Metroflex? Oh, man. So, yeah, I trained at other local gyms, and you know, for a while. Then when I moved to Texas, uh, you know, I was at Strauss. Uh, God bless the owner of Strauss. He just died, Kirk Strauss, not too, not too long ago. Um, but I trained at Strauss, and then Metroflex was in uh, the HEB area, uh, Hearst. And I would we'd drive back and forth from Hearst. I said, you know what? I want to go over and train at Metroflex sometime. You know, I'll go over and train. Metroflex is in Arlington, and that's probably like 30 minute drive from where we are. So I started going over there sometimes to train. Just you know, to get a different feel, different. It just felt better. It was just it was more lively. Brian Dobson on the gym, he would like play like loud music, and it was like that's my first introduction to, uh, you know, to having music cranked up in the gym and just really getting fired up. And I love that atmosphere right now. To this day, I still do that with my music. And uh, I don't want over there, and I start training, and and eventually, you know, because I was friends with with, with uh, uh, Branch. And Ronnie, I just I, I met Ronnie over there, you know, and then uh, the Hamlin brothers, but uh, then Johnny Jackson sometimes he would train. Another, and then a lot of Ronnie's partners. We started training, you know, they they would be training. I get in sometime, you know, but 
I don't know if you heard the story the very first time I trained over there. What mm -hmm. they did. I think a lot of people heard the story. I've told this story. The very first time I went over there to train with them, uh, I was gonna train, I was gonna squat with them. Because I've been I had been training, I would I would go over there and I'd been training on my own because you know I was doing my own thing. But then we I decided one day, hey, you know, yeah, I do like the job someday. Yeah, we can we squat. Yeah. You know, I was thinking we'd go squat, squat first, you know. Right. And so they had it in for me. So they said <laughs> I go there this morning. I don't know, it's probably like I don't know what morning of the week. We'd always train in the morning. I was a personal trainer. So we all had, had great lives, you know. We we train in the morning, train our train our clients, you know, in the morning, then about eleven o'clock we go train. So uh, I go over there and um, you know, Branch is there, Ronnie Coleman's there. Like Mark there, Mark Hanlon, he's another big time uh, bodybuilder, you know, uh, big dude. Uh, he's now passed away, bless his heart. Uh, uh, rest in peace. Uh, who else? And a couple, few other guys. So it was a big group of us. And they all knew what was going on. So I'm like, okay, yeah, let's start. He's like, okay, we're going to start with, uh, we'll do some leg curls first. We just warm up. We just warm up with some leg curls. We'll warm up. I'm like, okay, cool. No big deal. So we start warming up on leg curls. I'm a power lifter. So I'm ready to squat. I come to squat. I didn't come to do leg curls. Right. I'm on warm. I'm fine. I can do them. I'll be good. They, they do them. I can do them too. So they doing them. We do lying leg curls. We do seated leg curls. Then we do standing leg curls. <laughs> <laughs> so my hamstrings are blasted. So then we go, I go, okay, we're ready to squat now. Okay, I'm like, because I probably wouldn't have been able to look good anyway. And uh, they go, no, we're going to do some, uh, we'll do some leg extension first. <laughs> I'm like, what? What are we doing here? So they blasted me. And I think we did something else crazy. And then we got to leg extension. My, my leg was so pumped. And I was so, it was just like, blood was all in me so full. I think we had like three plates on a 315 and I could, that was just, it weight felt easy, but it was making me like wobble. It was just like, <laughs> my legs were gone. They were like rubber. And I looked around, they were laughing at me. So they got me. So they, they pulled it, they pulled it. They knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> it was intentionally too hazy. Yeah, <laughs> there was no other purpose. Exactly. They wanted to break me and they wanted to show me, you want to come over and work out with us? You go do what we do, you know. So when you ever step into a bodybuilder's, you know, doom, castle, whatever, you got hats off to them. They know what they're doing. But then later on, you know, we started training and uh, we'd go heavy, we'd go heavy squat day and running with deadlifts with me some, some days or, you know, whatever. Most we do leg days together. And uh, it, it was like an awesome workout. I mean, we would squat, then we'd do crazy heavy leg presses, you know, just, then we go outside and do lunges with like, uh, you know, 225, 315 on our backs and stuff. So that was the most, that was the most, that probably was the most funnest, funnest training time I ever had in my life. I can't remember a time that I had training that was more fun than that. Uh, because training with Ronnie, he, 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 he pushed me and I didn't want him to like, you're not strong. And I'm like, you're not, you're big, but you're not strong. And 
you know, we both got egos. His ego is like, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to catch me. I remember he was doing like 640, 650, someone swatches reps. I'm like, whatever, let me give 700. And I did 700. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, whatever, I, I'm going to do more. And, and, it, and it was, it was really cool. It was, it was, uh, it was probably the most exciting time of my life as far as training, uh, training with somebody like that. And we wasn't really, I'm gonna say we weren't we weren't really enemies, but we weren't really good friends. We just kind of like, you know, kind of like, what's up, man? Hey, yeah, you know, what's up? Because this is the story too. I'll tell. We both kind of dated. So we both at one time we dated two of the same people. So that was that was a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So that was a little bit of a, of a thing to it too. So that's a story many people don't know. That's awesome. That, yeah. That's how all that's how all friend frenemy relationships start. You know, dating the same yeah, girl, friend, <laughs> exactly, exactly. and that was the thing. See, so uh, you know, he would. So it, it it was just it was it was a little bit of a, you know, kind of a little bit of a mess. But it was you know, it was cool. It, it wasn't at the same time. It was just it was things said in between. He would tell this person some and back and forth, and you know about me and someone. I'm. You know, Steve's go do this or whatever. And I'm like, whatever. So we went to train. We never talked about it. We just trained hard, and it made us train so hard. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't a big deal, but it just, it's something that gave us, it gives it gives somebody fire. You know, any little thing you use, you use to get energy. And he'll, he, I, he even admitted in our article that he wrote, uh, somebody asked him, who's the, I guess he gave me credit for, being one of the strongest people he ever trained with, mm. you know, and that's pretty cool. Being he's wow. a bodybuilder, I trained with a lot of crazy strong bodybuilders, and he, he gave me credit that I was probably the strongest he ever, you know, trained with. So that was pretty cool. Wow, and he was definitely the the person that pushed me the most. That like, if I had to go back again in life, I would want more of that. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's that's so funny. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's. But it pushes you. You need you need something to, to fire you up. And what better than to, you know, combat against a, a rival who's dated similar people, who's also a freak of nature, yeah. you know? It's oh yeah. It gives you the fire. It was just crazy. It was a crazy time. It was just crazy it was a crazy life. So I mean, we just had a we had a blast. I mean, so training. We would crank that music up and meant to flex, you know, and, and Ronnie was doing all those things he was doing and saying what he was saying, those those sayings that the people make like tea, he made t-shirts out of and stuff. That was his way he was. Ain't nothing but a peanut, lightweight baby. I mean, he would, that was just the way he was. That was just his normal stuff. And so later on, people were like, I'm like, I've been doing that from day one. I mean, he been, that's just the way he was. So it was pretty cool to, to be around all that from the beginning to see it. And to see when he did it, that was the way he got fired up. And then when he got fired up, fired me up. I'm like, hey, you're not gonna outdo me. <laughs> I got a point to prove. I'm a powerlifter in a bodybuilder's gym. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm not getting locked down. <laughs> you know, that was that was great. Metaflex was like totally awesome. I mean, that's a, that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. You know, I was, I was texting back and forth a little bit with Eddie Cohen uh, just the other day. I told him I was having you on. He, he was super pumped to hear about it. Uh, and I said, you know, Ed, what is something that I should ask him that nobody is going to know about? And he said your golden age that he saw was when you were competing with your armed forces in powerlifting. He said, 
the, the stuff that that guy has done is unbelievable. And so he wanted me, you know, from him to you, for me to ask about just your time, you know, lifting, you know, as part of the military, uh, because obviously that's how you got the machine gun nickname in the first place. You know, what, what were some of those peak moments there that even developed you as you furthered your career, just in kind of being that consistent lifter? In the military, um, that was the beginning. I guess that was the beginning of my career. So that was like, uh, so I'm in the military. I'm like having to like, you know, work, but I'm getting, asked them to give me special duty. They give me special duty just to go to the gym to train. So I get that. So, and then they, one of the coaches uh, quit or was retired. And I was one of the assistant coaches. And I ended up coaching the Fort Hood Powerlifting team. That's how I became a coach. Um, and the military part was just, uh, I mean, having those, looking up to guys like Osby, Alexander. I know you probably don't know who he is. 165, great 165, but like an all-time one of the greatest. Uh, Dan Austin. Um, having those guys in the military and, and seeing them, I looked up to them. So they made me want to be like the best I could be. So my military time was just like training. I didn't really, once I got on the powerlifting team, once I started lifting, well, before that I was in a unit, but I would just go to work every day and just go and cook straight to the gym. I mean, I just go train. I mean, it was, yeah, my life was you know, probably a lot different than, I mean, I wish I had Eddie's life. That was great. He had it made, you know what I'm saying? I didn't have it like that. I had to work and then go train. Yeah. So, but either way you still got to train you still got to be motivated and you still got to want it so going through it in the military was it was tough for a minute and then once i got special duty to to train in the gym it, it, was, it was like man, it was like a it it was a nice life i mean so i had it i'm kind of because i kind of had it made a little bit in there for a little while uh you know except when we had to go on duties do stuff i mean you know other than that but just training and 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 Having guys from all over, uh, training part of a, on a team, uh, training in a gym with world-class boxers. Uh, we had a boxing team at Fort Hood. It was like, uh, they were world-class. They were like just competing everywhere. Competing everywhere. Uh, all I did it when I was at uh, at Fort Bragg. I was an 82nd Airborne. So I was jumping out of airplanes part-time and then, you know, some, you know, the other, whenever we had to jump. And then I still go compete. So that was pretty cool too. I kind of had a drive for anything that was crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's my, that's my thing. If it was, it was, I didn't really want to jump out of airplanes, but I didn't want to be scared to jump out of airplanes. Oh yeah. Oh, for but sure. I was still scared to jump out of airplanes. <laughs> right. I wanted, I wanted to feel that fear. <laughs> yes. So that's when I, why I did that. But the military lifting was 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 pretty awesome, and it was uh, you know, because I mean you had to still I had to still do what I had to do in the military, you know, whenever I was called to do it, whatever duty we needed to do, and then, you know, uh, then they trusted me enough to be the coach of the team, and then I do from there. Man, well, so because this is something I've always wanted to do, I wonder if you can relive the first time you jumped out of an airplane. What what in the world is going through your mind when you're realizing to yourself, man, this airplane's kind of comfortable. I don't know if I really want to get out of this thing, but I got to jump. What, what in the world is that experience like? Wow. 
Let me see. So I've been through see jump school. Jump school, I think, is like what? Oh, what is it? I forgot what it is. Three, four weeks or something like that. And jump week. And the first jump we go to have, it's almost getting ready to get canceled because the wind is blowing so fast. So <laughs> you're already nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous. Then I'm like, I y'all need to go ahead and cancel it. Then I'm like, it's cool. Let me go if you want to cancel it. I mean, because whenever I got up in the airplane, I get bubble guts. I mean, it just like you just get sick in the stomach. You just kind of like, oh man. But uh, the very first jump, I remember. <laughs> it makes you nervous just thinking about it. <laughs> you feel your hands are already sweating. You're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. So you know, get in the plane and you're like, you're a bunch of y'all from jump school and everybody like, you know, you know, you got to do it. So you ain't go like, you know, you, you ain't go chicken out. Yeah. You go do it. I mean, I'm, you know, my butthole is tight as you can't get a, get a diamond, <laughs> but I'm go do it. I'm going to do what I need to do. So we walk into the, you know, door and, we, and you, you hooked up. You know, you hook everything up, make sure you got good, everything, check your gear, good. You shuffle into the open the door, and you know, a jump master go, you know, one minute or whatever, you drop zone, and they go, jumper, stand in the door. And, you, and I'm not, I wasn't the first one. I was like, I was in the back. I was like, because I definitely didn't want to be the first one with the first jump. So I didn't have that. So you didn't have time to think about it. When you got up there, and it was time to go, like you stand here and then like I'm here, and then you go there to go to the door because the jump master is right in front of you. And he takes your static line and pulls it behind him or to the side, whatever, and says, go. And you get in the door and you put your, you know, because we practiced this before because we got the, you know, the simulators or whatever you practice on and you jump out and you swing down the thing at you know, jump school. And so we got in the door and it's like, <laughs> And this jump. I mean, honestly, what I did. <laughs> you don't want to see where you're going. <laughs> yeah, I closed my eyes and just like jumped. And then when I felt my shoot open, I like, because you got to make sure, because there's somebody on the other side of you uh, when you're jumping, because they all, we jumping like out of both doors of the airplane. So one's going, one's going, one going. And sometimes they kind of go at the same time. If you don't watch, you get tangled up up under there. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's that's kind of dangerous, but that was uh that was scary as shit. Yeah, yeah that that was that was really that was scary. But the adrenaline rush was just like just something else. I mean, it's nothing like that adrenaline rush. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I have this image of young Steve, you know, shaking, you know, as he's holding the side of these yep. doors where he jumps out. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't get that long to hold it because you had to go. Once it's in, go. They, they, they just kind of, he kind of takes your, when you get in the door, you basically walking and jumping at the mm -hmm. same time. You go into the door and you jumping. You go into the door and you jumping. Cause they don't, they won't take it. When you, when you're in line, you just kind of right there, you go, 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 go. One, each one is like, you know what I'm saying? So, and those jump masters, they like bad guys. They bad, they think they badasses anyway. So, you act like you don't want to go out that door if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're you're getting thrown out of that thing if you ain't jumping. That's yeah. Yeah. But I never had any issues with any any shoots not open or anything. So it was cool. Damn. Yeah, but you got go to the ground pretty fast. Yeah. Well, oh, my first jump, I guess I gotta finish this first jump. The very first jump, the wind was blowing. 
So when I got out there and I was coming down, the drop zone just kept moving. Just kept moving underneath me, kept moving underneath me. And so I'm just like flying across the drop zone because the knots, it must be, it's probably, I don't know, 12, 13 knots, 14 knots, probably more than you know what it needs to be. Uh, I think it's supposed to jump like third, 12 or 13 or something like that. They're not supposed to jump. I, it was it had to be right at it because I was going across this so fast or probably picked up when we jumped. It picked up and I'm talking like when I hit the ground, you're supposed to land on your side of your uh, calf muscle, your thigh, side of your thigh, and your, you call it the push-up muscle. Because I kind of just roll over, you know, kind of like fall over. I landed like on my heels, my ass, and my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember. And my chute drugged me probably 25 or 30 feet. It's how far it was blowing. You know what I'm saying? So it was not a pleasant landing on my first. My first jump was the was the nastiest jump. You know. And after that, I had some pretty nice jumps. It was, you know, the first one though, I'm like, wow, what did I get myself into? <laughs> You're second guessing your whole your whole career oh, yeah, path. Yeah, it was. Well, on the right side, you know, if you're jumping into something that's that bad on the front end, everything else is going to look so much easier immediately after that. Right. I mean, it's like bombing out at your first meet. You're like, it can't get any yep. worse than this. Exactly. Let me get to the ground and, and everything, nothing's broken. I'm okay. Yeah. That was Damn. pretty cool. That's wow. That's remarkable. Well, you know, one of the, I know one of the things we touched on this briefly that's really marked your career has been, you know, some of the guys are, you know, I'm going to train super intense. I'm maxing out every session. You know, the West Side idea of we're hitting the max or a new PR every single time you come in. You've really stayed consistent. You just said, hey, you know, the key is consistency. But in that, you've always been a fan of hitting a heavy single in some capacity. Uh, and so I wonder if you could talk about, you know, what what's the methodology behind that? And when did you realize that that was what was going to be effective for your training style? For me... I kind of like, well, I think I did it by accident at first. What happened was I ran into it because I think I hurt my, you know, I bend over a lot. I used to bend over a lot when I squat. Mm -hmm. So I fold over like a, you know, accordion. That's what they would say. And when I had a belt on uh, the first, probably the first couple of years competing real, you know, getting kind of really serious about it. I hurt my ribs a couple of times. Mm -hmm. My belt kind of like jammed me up a couple of times. And so one training cycle, I couldn't do reps. I couldn't do, like with my, I couldn't do, I'd go down and do one rep and like, ah, and that was it. So I started just going up and I could do a single though. Yeah, because yeah, I didn't mind that pain for one rep. Right. Stupid I am, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I did singles that way. And so I just kind of worked up to a weight and then did a back offset and I take my belt off and I would do it that way. Uh, then later on, I developed, like, you know, because I did reps. I did reps at five and everything. But then I started getting into the thing that were, you know what? I want to try something different. I'm going to try. I wouldn't go, my, the, the one rep would not be a max. But because we're training in gear, and um, at the beginning of the cycle, so if I had a 13, 14-week cycle, most of the time it'd be 12. Mm -hmm. And during those days, I try to train every every week, you know, so it wouldn't until I learned different. But I would go up. Maybe if I say say if at the end of the cycle I was planning on squatting nine hundred nine, you know, nine something, uh, 
I maybe start to cycle off, maybe go up and hit 7.30 for a single as a top of, top of the workout, drop back down, hit a down set reps, and go down set back down, drop down to 6.75 for three, maybe 6.25 for five, you know, drop back down. And then I started doing it. Then the next week I come in, I go 7.50, Then I drop back down to, you know, all the way back, you know, reps back down. Then 7.80, 7.90. The same thing. And then I started doing this and I'm like, it started, it was working. So just kind of with it. Uh, it was just kind of something that I felt good about because I, I, I didn't feel good. Whenever I would go up, even though I'd warm up and do enough warm up sets, that first heavy set, I never felt great doing that first heavy set. So I'm like, I'm just going to do a single. And then we'll back do back down sets off of it. And so when I did that, everything worked fine. Because whenever I try to go up and do more than one rep with a big heavy set, it wouldn't feel good. It would feel feel off. And so when I started doing it going up, sometimes I go up above the weight that I wanted to come back down and hit, and it worked better. And so I just started doing it that way. You know what I mean? But the heavy single, the dentist style came, just kept kept going and kept going and kept going. I just used it every cycle. You know what I'm saying? That would be mainly on squats and uh and deadlifts. But then later on, I would switch it up because I always did fives. I mean, I would do heavy fives for a lot of you know a lot of sets. It just depends. But mostly, mostly singles were mostly on squats, and that came because I had a like I said when I first hurt my uh, my rib, my belt. I didn't like doing reps with the belt on. That just didn't feel good. Well, and I know. You know, some people will say, oh, man, Steve Goggins, you know, such an ugly squat. But honestly, it really isn't. Like, it, it's really just you are just – you've got the long femurs. Like, you're just so bent over in it. You know, I was re-watching – you know, as I texted you just yesterday, I was re-watching that 1102. And, I mean, dude, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a longer rep in my life. How the hell did you grind that thing out? Uh, you know what? During my whole powerlifting career – the thing that I love most about powerlifting was the grind. I, I love the grind. I love the part. I tell my lifters that now, I always tell them, I go, you got to embrace the grind. If you ain't grinding, if you ain't really pushing as hard as you can, how do you know what your max is? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Some yeah. people can't grind long enough and they, they lose it before they, they're like, ah, they just don't, just don't like that grind. Mm-hmm. Or they get impatient and they start jumping around. So, it, it was just something I just embraced and I just learned to do it. And I just, you know, and I just, I would just strain. People said, man, your eyes are turning bloodshot. You're looking at your eyes. Your eyes are bloodshot, dude. I would get up in front of the bar. They'd be like, you look like a devil. <laughs> I mean, because I would, I would grind out a rep just like it would take forever, you know. And some days, it, you know, they would think, you're having a bad day. No, I'm just, I'm just having a day. I'm just grind it out. I'm going to get the rep, you know. So it, it just, uh, it, it's something that worked for me, so and I've learned how to learn how to do it. And I think uh, it may have been something that came from, you know, doing the heavy singles uh, and starting to do it. Because in the second half of the cycle, the weight started to get heavier, to where you know you just had to start, you know, working a little bit harder. So right. I would say, you know, some of it came out for that. Some of it just came out for just I just like to grind. Yeah. And I mean. You were, of course, the first man to ever feel that kind of weight on his back and, and do it in a competition. So, 
you know, I usually hate asking people about specific numbers, what it was like to feel specific numbers, but considering that you were making history in that moment, you know, what, what were the emotions afterwards? You know, you, you kind of, you kind of did that roar of victory. You know, I saw you kind of stagger to grab the rat cause I'm sure you were close to passing out when you finished that thing. Oh, oh yeah, well, I yeah. I'm sure I saw you, you stood up and then immediately, you know, <laughs> you lean back and you grasp it, right. you know, steady yourself. What, what, what was the energy and the emotion like, you know, knowing that you'd broken that barrier? Uh, to me, it was an honest, my honest feeling doing that was like, I felt like I've separated myself from other lifters, from other lifters. Yeah. I've, you know, I've put, I've did some things, did something that other people hadn't did. Yeah. And so it was, that was a great feeling to do that. Uh, because I'm always chasing numbers and chasing, you know, this, chasing that, or all your whole career, my whole career, I'm always hearing about Eddie, you know? So what, my thing is always, you know, Eddie this, Eddie that. So my whole, my whole career, my whole goal, my whole mindset is, okay, just steady, steady, just stay on pace. You can do it. And when I got there, when I strength, my strength got to the point. Cause I remember he was like, he saw it was like 300 pounds ahead of mine. I was like, it was, he was like wearing my ass out. I mean, back in the early days, I couldn't, I mean, early on when I first started, I was like, man, this guy's amazing. But I got sick of hearing about him. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to catch his ass. I'm going to yeah. catch him. I can catch him. I can catch him. And so that was my, always my mindset. So when I got to the point where I did 1100 and did some other big numbers I did, uh, I just knew I arrived at a, at a place to where, especially with 1100, that no, nobody else had been there before. So that was just like, I was like, yeah. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like hitting that, you know. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was kind of like, like a, a great moment to feel like, you know, I, I've done something. Because my whole career, I want to I separate myself. I want to do something that nobody else has did. So that's, that's what I'm thinking the whole time. Because I want to be the best in the world. And everybody that power lifts, if you ain't thinking I want to be the best in the world, whether you can or not, I don't know. That's just the way my mind thinks. I don't know how to think of a way in that. I'm going for that. Even though I know I was so far behind in the beginning that I, did, I couldn't, you know, but I saw it that I, if I work hard, I'll get there. Yeah. Well, there is. I mean, it's the, it's the classic quote, the man who says he can, the man who says he can't, both are usually right. Right. You know, if you're saying I can't make it to the top, you're sure as hell not going to make it to the top. You're not gonna make it. You gotta be positive. You gotta want it. You got how bad do you want it? I mean, you, as, as a powerlifter, we sacrifice. Some of us sacrifice a lot in our lifetime. I mean, to to go through. I mean, I've had a knee replacement, a hip replacement. So, I mean, I paid the price. You know, I got some, you know, a little bit of arthritis going on, little stuff. But you know, nothing that I would say, man, I wouldn't do that again. I'd do it all over again <laughs> if I had that feeling. To back to your question about what that 1100 felt like on my back, it was, it it was such an such it was a crushing feeling. That weight was heavy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt. I just I knew it felt like extremely heavy. But my my mindset was, just push as hard as you can. Just push as hard as you. How hard can you push? What do you have in you? Just give it all you got. And that's just what I thought about, just giving it all I got. Because when I went down and I started going down, 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 I'm like, and it just like kind of smashed me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I was going to try to hit, go try to come up before then, but 
it lagged. It's like, no, you're going, you, you're going down. You're going down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And once I got to the halfway point and I was like in there, I'm like, just stay steady and stay steady. When I hit the hole and I started driving back up and I felt it moving and coming up, I was like, oh, shit, I can do this. So that moment, I, I was like, wow. That's when my eyes got big doing the whole doing the lift. And I was like, I'm going to do this shit. You know what I mean? So it, it was a, it was an amazing feeling. So, you know, so it, it just, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Wow. That's a, obviously a, a remarkable achievement. And, and, and especially, you know, it's funny you mentioned the weight saying you're, you're going to go all the way down, you know, because of course you, you buried that squat. I mean, buried right. that thing. And especially now, I mean, of course there's, there's all the controversy with every new federation that's popping up and especially a lot of the equipped guys and more on the multiply side who, you know, are, are nowhere near meeting that same standard. And so, you know, from your perspective, I mean, you, you've seen the, the beginning stages, you've seen the raw stages, you've seen the multiply, you know, where, where do we draw the line, you know, you know, as far as where we're meeting standards, or is it really just, hey, cool, you lifted some pretty heavy weight, nice work, or is there a point where we really need to create a standard in which we're saying, man, this really isn't good enough, especially from someone who's competed in gear and is still able to meet the standards? Well, there is a standard. It's just not recognized by a lot of people. Yeah. There is a standard. I mean, I've missed this standard before. I've had high squat pass in meets. And, and and been told that. And I'm like, okay, but I'm going to the meet to, to, to squat the best I can, you know, to do the standard. Mm -hmm. If I miss it, it's your job to call me on it. You know what I'm saying? And I've gotten stuff turned down. And so I remember that before, uh, getting, you know, getting told stuff like that. So it kind of like, to me, it always like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it again. Okay, I'll do it again. So that mm -hmm. always challenged me. I think a lot of guys today, or even in the last 10, 15 years, uh, they get caught up in the, it's a group, it's a whole large, they just make their own thing and they're like, you know what, we ain't got to squat that deep. We got multiply, we got all this gear on. We ain't got to squat that deep. We ain't got to do it. You know, and it's like, we're, we're, that's, that's, they get into the good enough phase mm -hmm. where if it's like two or three, to me, if you ain't breaking parallel, it just, it ain't, it ain't good enough. You know, it's yeah. weird. Whoa. I mean, it just ain't. So, and you see guys that will like be two or three inches above parallel and back to him or, or even higher, like this is crazy. And it's like, they would get mad if you say anything to them. Mm -hmm. Instead of them just going back and looking at their stuff and going like, shit, it wasn't good. I'm going to go in. If I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm going to go somewhere else and do it again. That was always my thing. Whenever I missed a lift or something happened, I was like, fuck that. Excuse me. Man. I mean, I'm like, I, I'm going to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying, I'm going, I'm going, so this ain't to be the last time I'm going to squat that weight. So that's all right. Y'all talk about it. That's fine. And I would go and I would do it again. So that was the thing. I, my, my, uh, mindset was, I mean, cause there is a standard is to break parallel. I mean, there is no other standard. It, people go make it what they want it. You know what I'm saying? If, I mean, like I'm a, um, I'm on a committee in the USPA and I'm a meet director for the USPA. I host meets. Uh, sometimes I'll see lifters, lift, I mean, judges in my meets pass lifters that pass lifts that I wouldn't pass. You know, everybody got their own eyes and see stuff. I just like, hey man, tighten it up a little bit, tighten it up a little bit. I mean, because you want, I mean, everybody need to work for it. it, it you don't, there's nothing to be given. I mean, right. you, you know what I'm saying? You can have them gym lifts. 
they're yours. But when you get on that platform, you got to earn it. Mm -hmm. You got to earn it. It shouldn't be no, you know, and they, they can get mad. They just don't, they don't like you talking about it, but you know, I mean, so it's a, it's a, I think there's already a standard. It just needs to be adhered to. I mean, these people just need to, you know, use it. But I don't think it will, though. I think, you know, I think it's up to the organization and the judges. When you make people judges, the thing about powerlifting in the last probably 15, 20 years, uh, you got a lot of people that became judges and would judge. Some of those competitions, they'd be judges, and they wouldn't even get certified to judge. They just sit down in the chair and just judge people. Yeah. You know, flicking lights. The buddy up there, like, they flicking lights, you know? It wasn't... It wasn't that way when I competed in the USPF, uh, APF back in the day. I mean, it'd be like, you'd be competing against somebody. So that judge was certified. They was all, you know, in the organization. And they came, they was, they was like a part of it. And, and I just kind of got relaxed a little bit and, and made so many judges and people that, you know, that wasn't qualified, which it's not that hard to be qualified. And I just think people to see us, <clears throat> The thing about this being, you know, it's good enough. Yeah. Many people think it's good enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and then it becomes, you know, what can I get away with? Instead of, man, I want, I want to crush some weight. I want to create a respectable, you know, track record. It's no, like, I wonder if I can get away with this. I wonder what federation will let me get away with this. You know, I remember uh, it was just a, a few weeks ago. I think it was a WRPF meet. And now, obviously, I mean, they've everything so tightened down there. And the guy who put knee wraps under his sleeves, and he finished the wrap, and of course, head judge, you know, I can't pronounce any Russian names, immediately goes up and notices it. It's like, no, nah, dude, like, you're disqualified, like, you're banned. But it is, you know, like, what has to go through a lifter's mind to be like, I'm, I'm going to try to put wraps under my, my sleeves, you know? You know, I think what it is is, now what it is, is they want to be Instagram famous. They yeah. want some, they want, they want, <clears throat> they want these shitty ass little records that don't mean shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I guess it means something to them. I guess I'm saying it, but they want these little records that really don't mean nothing. They should be thinking about just having some pride and some, you know, uh, just some meaning to your lifting and go out there and do it for yourself. That's what I love about when I competed and guys like, in, you know, in my era, we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have all that shit. So we had to, you know, we had to just, we had to compete just to do it. You know, mm -hmm. and sometimes we, we were still held to a standard and it'd be like, you know, stuff come out. Yeah, that was a hot spot. was high. I said, said it, taught, I mean, it, it would still be high squats back then. But uh, I think the standard was a little bit different because maybe, well, the standard is, is, is harder now, probably. But people try to beat the standard so they can try to show off Instagram or just want to hit some kind of record. I mean, if they just like looked at it as, hey, just do the best you can do, give it all you got, and you go do well. Yeah. Train hard and just and just you know try to try to live by the rule of I'm gonna do this the right way. Yeah. But they just don't see it that way. I don't know. And you can still have fun with it instead of like. See if I can get away with this. They won't, they won't notice. I'm gonna get this. Why? What are you? What are you doing it for? Yeah. That means you ain't doing it for yourself. Then, mm -hmm. if you're trying to get away with something, what, what's the reason you're doing it? Yeah. You know what I mean? 
it ain't for your own self-satisfaction. Is that that's to show somebody else think to think you can do more than you can do. Absolutely. Because if you're doing it for yourself, if you're doing it for yourself, you know that you're gonna be living with the guilt of, man, I just got handed that. You know, right. and, and you're holding a world record. You know, I think of uh, you know, Andrew Herbert, one a good friend of mine. And he, there was a record in which he had squatted higher than he thought was acceptable. And he right. had open powerlifting take away the record. He's like, I, I can't on my conscience have this sit in front of me. But then you'll have another guy who's like, no, no, that's my record. I've got that now. You guys can't tell me, you know, and it's, it is, it separates, I think, the good men from the. Powers like Andrew. Mm -hmm. He had more powers and powers like that. Good people. In other words, that's a good person in life. You know, some of that shit though, it rolls over into people's lives though. So yeah, I mean, if you shitty that way on a, you know about that doing that. You shitty that way in life. I don't, you know, I don't want you know. Other words, you probably can't trust you. you know? yeah. <laughs> that's that's for real. That's true. If you shitty in one part of your life, you're probably shitty in another part of your life. Mm -hmm. You won't be shitty in powerlifting and, and try to get away with shit. You probably trying to get away with shit on the other part of your life. So he who is faithful with little is faithful with much and just on the way, other way around. If you can't handle a little bit, you're not going to be able to handle a lot. Exactly. Hey, that's a good one. Yep. That's yeah. Cool. yeah, that one's for free. There's the youngin. Give it something good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Oh, well, you know, moving, uh, you know, kind of the back end of this, you know, two of kind of the, the stable questions that I think has really, you know, held the podcast together has been this question of faith and then this question of, of French toast, which, you know, We'll get there. Great question. But, you know, the, the first question I love asking people, you know, is, is what role, if any, has your own personal faith, spirituality, whatever, played in kind of your perspective on training, your perspective on coaching as a whole, and especially over you've had such a decorated career. I wonder if there has been any faith element to that for yourself and kind of pushing you ahead. I believe so. I believe, I mean, you have to believe in something. Yeah. You have to. And my thing is, uh, if you're trying to teach others to do things the right way in the correct way, you have to lead by some example to try to show them. So uh, I've always had a belief, you know, to, to, to try to tell them to do things the right way. You know what I'm saying? Hey, we need to do this. If you go do this, do this. If you go do this, do this, do it the right way, you know, and stay, stay dedicated to it 100%. Like, Guys, I tell you, like if they doing doing some of the training, some of the lifts and stuff. So it, it's it's always about not cutting corners. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And if I gotta lift a cutting corner, sometimes I'll be like, "You cutting corners? You're not listening to me." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Keep cutting corners. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I keep telling them, keep explaining, but they keep cutting these corners. Um, I mean, you have you have to be you have to be driven by you know you have to have some faith in you know and belief um sorry about that look at the chicks with my dogs down. <laughs> but uh it's 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 a long road and you have to you know just lead by example biggest thing yeah no absolutely you know i i, I even think you know in the midst of now <clears throat> when we release this it'll been a few days you know since this all is happening but the day we're recording now you know january 6th you know i, I even think of what's going on in washington dc right now you know, of, of all these people, you know, storming the Capitol. And, you know, re regardless of where you're at, anywhere with anything and everyone comparing it to Black Lives Matter movement and everything else, I saw an interview with Denzel Washington and they asked him, what, what are your thoughts on all this? And he goes, 
It starts at the home. It starts here. It starts with you. You know, like any widespread widespread change has to start with one person. You know, by the time you get to the system, or by the time you get to your politicians, the the damage is done. You know, if it's the same thing we're talking about, and it is, it's leading by example. It's got to be leading by example. It's got to be by. It's got to be in you. I mean, you can't just like, you know, you can't be led like you're some sheep or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm You got to recognize when somebody's leading you in the wrong direction. If you got a coach who's like leading you in the wrong direction, you got to open your eyes and like look and think. If you got a thought, you go like, mm, that's not right. That's wrong. Yeah. Do that. But uh, I mean, that's 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 just what you got. You got to do. You know, you got to be. Yeah. Well, my favorite question of every interview that I do is this breakfast question. I'm a big breakfast guy. I love it to death. Doesn't matter what time of day. Honestly, for dinner, I'll probably end up cooking eggs anyway. Uh, and it won't be for the nutritional value just because I want the eggs and I'm pretty sure they go back. <laughs> oh, nothing wrong with that. Um, and so my question for you is if there is one breakfast food that holds supreme in your mind over anything else, what would it be and why? One breakfast food. Holds that catch me off guard. Yeah, let me see. One breakfast. Man, if you just give me eggs and bacon, I'm straight. <laughs> a simple man. Yeah, I'm a simple man. Your eggs and bacon, I'm straight. You know what I mean? I mean, now, I mean, that's just like, I, I you know, and that's just a couple times a week. Now, if it's around the holidays, I'll tell you what holds supreme in my mind for breakfast. My mom got this in my head to where, like, I like, like, leftover turkey, and I like to make fresh gravy the next morning with the turkey and the hash the bones and stuff. And that is like my favorite to have some turkey and gravy and a little bit of stuffing left over and two or three eggs. Man, I'm like, that's the best breakfast of the year to me. Wow. So you make your own gravy the day after as well. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's com- that's commitment to making a good product right there. That's 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 the real deal. You know, just stirring a little flour, a little water. You know, you keep mixing, keep stirring, keep mixing, stirring. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I love I love cooking too, so it's cool. Man, uh, hey, you chose the right career then to enjoy cooking because we all know powerlifters be eating enough for four grown men. <laughs> now, I don't cook all the time because I'm a single man now. But most, I mean, I love whenever I cook, I love to cook. You know what I'm saying? Whether it be desserts, I mean, anything. I can cook anything. My lips to tell you, I can cook anything. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> that means you're the one to have around at parties. Next time in Georgia, I'll make yeah. sure. I'll, hey, Steve's cooking. <laughs> we can do that. Oh, man. Well, well, last thing I got for you, you know, what What do you got going on for you right now? I know COVID has has kind of switched everything. You're sitting as the, sitting, uh, the state chair for USPA right now. Are there any meets coming up? What's kind of going on in your life with your team? Oh, man. We got, uh, as far as my team, they got a competition coming up on, um, here, going, I'm going to take them to Alabama, a few of them, to lift in the Alabama State meet. Because I like to have them lift in other meets other than mine. Because, well, they're not supposed to lift in my meets. Supposedly, I got, there's a rule against, made just specially for me, so that I can't coach lifters in my own meets. Which sure. Is yeah. <laughs> That's cool, no big deal. Which I ain't got time anyway, because I'm, I'm running a meet, being a meet director you're pretty busy. You don't have time to do that. But that, a um, couple of them will probably go to USPA Nationals um, this summer. Hopefully if everything, you know, gets better with 
the COVID and everything. I think they will. And um, as far as me, I just, you know, online programming, uh, coaching, uh, something I just did big that nobody knows about. As far as my own personal life, I just bought a Harley Davidson Fat Bob. My man. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I'm learning how to ride a little bit, you know, because I ain't rode in forever. You know, because I rode when I was a kid and I rode a little bit when I was an adult. So I'm learning how to ride a little bit. I don't want to ride all the time. I just want to ride a little bit. So between riding that, uh, I do a lot of cycling. Uh, I'm always on a bicycle, on the, on the trail, hit the trail, do 20, 15, 20, 30, 40 miles. What do I feel like that day? About three, four times a week. It's been on how I feel. Um, I'm state chairman. I'm on the USPA exec committee, helping solve problems. I'm on the Hall of Fame committee for USPA. Um, and, and I probably got enough going on with that. I got meets coming up. I got like, I'm probably gonna put on probably seven or eight meets this year, which, would probably be quite a bit. I got a couple coming up pretty soon, which you can, play, you can find on GogginsForce.com. Uh, uh, that, and I'm working on the side. I'm just staying busy right now because yeah. of COVID. I started like going back to doing other like work, like manual labor, doing stuff for myself. It's like I didn't necessarily need to, but I was like, I hate being, you know, not doing something. Yeah. So I do. I do service and repair work on fitness equipment. I do a little bit of everything, man. I mean, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> You're, you're keeping busy. I mean, that's what you got to do. I mean, I feel like that's how you stay sane in the midst of all of this. You got to. You don't be sitting around doing nothing. You that, and you get this. You get this. You, your body just starts going to nothing. You stop when you stop, you die. Yeah. You know. I just turned fifty-seven years old, so I just want to keep doing as much as I can, as long as I can. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, folks, this has just been a great conversation with Steve Machine Gun Goggins. You can find him on Instagram at the Steve Goggins and the team as well at Goggins Force. You can check us out as always uh, at Faith Fitness Podcast on Instagram or myself if you care about what I'm doing, which you might not. But if you do, it's at Big Mo Powerlifting. With that, folks, we'll catch you next week with Dennis Cornelius. Well, folks, this was just a great conversation with Steve Machine Gun Goggins. You can find him on Instagram at the Steve Goggins and at Goggins Force. And of course, if you are competing USPA in Georgia, I'm sure you'll see him at your meets. If you love that episode and you're craving a little bit more from us at the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify with Faith Fitness and French Toast. Or visit us on Instagram at Faith Fitness Podcast for full interviews, trailers, and more for season five. As well, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Faith Fitness Podcast. For $5 a month, you'll have 24-hour early access to all episodes. And of course, we'll ensure that I can keep uh, recording and reaching out to expand uh, this reach of the podcast. We have a brilliant guest list lined up for the rest of the season, so don't forget to turn on those post notifications on Instagram. Stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear about guest announcements and everything else. With that, I'm Moses Allwood. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next week with USAPL National Champion, Dennis Cornelius.